Matthew chapter 11. Well, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll take a, chap- we'll take a book of the Bible, and we work through chapter by chapter, and we, we've completed chapter 10. We were there a couple of weeks. And chapter 10, Jesus is preparing his disciples for some difficulties that are going to be ahead. And uh, not everybody is going to appreciate their love for Jesus. And so he, he takes that chapter to really to really lay that out for them. The hard part for me as, as a teacher in, in, um, when, when I take a chapter like that, there, there's always two sides. You know, on the one side, when you read the Bible, there's great blessing. God loves to bless his kids. You're created in the image of God. The reason that you love to bless your kids is because of that. So God loves to bless his kids. And so uh, there, there's a lot of that. And, and I, I love talking about God's blessing in our lives, the way that he intervenes. And yet Jesus wants us to be aware that not everybody is, is going to uh, appreciate, again, that, that love for Jesus. So we took a couple of weeks to talk about that side. And uh, today is going to be somewhat of a little bit of continuation of that. But um, you know, that, that's the, I, I, I love talking about the, the other side more than this side, but uh, it's important that we talk about both sides so that we're not blindsided when those things happen in our life. But maybe today as we get into this, uh, may, maybe today you're in a situation in your life where it's just not working out and it's not happening the way that you had always planned. You're stuck. You, you would love to, to get out of a, of a certain situation in your life and yet there, there's, there's nothing that you can do to change that situation. Maybe it's just an area of your life. And, and uh, the truth is, every one of us here today, if I were to say, every one of us has a one prayer request that we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, if you would just change this one area, this, just this one area in my life, everything would be different. And we all have that prayer request, don't we? I mean, we all know what it is. I know what it is for me. You know what it is for you. We all have that. And, and sometimes it doesn't make sense that, that we're just, we're left with that at times. Well, this chapter might be for us as we, as we travel through and uh, look at somebody else who walked through a situation and it wasn't what he expected. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 11. And it says, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, remember chapter 10, he's preparing them to go out on a short-term missions trip he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, this is going to be speaking of John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, John the Baptist, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? So again, this is speaking of John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. And John is in prison, and in a few minutes we're going to find that although he's in prison, Jesus is going to proclaim very loudly and very publicly there on your outline, truly I say to you that among those born of women there has not, been, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And so he's, but he, you know, he's in prison at this point. There's going to be a theological reason that Jesus says this, but then there's also the practical. There, there's something that Jesus highlights uh, in John's faithfulness that, that causes him to, to say this. So John is in prison. John the Baptist is in prison. So why is he in prison? Well, uh, from previous studies we know that, that John was the one who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, to proclaim that the Messiah is here. And uh, So John spends most of his time out in the desert. But he hears of something that's gone on in his country and he decides to speak out against it. The local king, his name is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas of Galilee had paid a visit to his brother in Rome. 
Now, while the local king is visiting his brother in Rome, he seduces his brother's wife. She then leaves her husband and comes back to the area of Israel with Herod. Herod comes back and dismisses his wife and then marries her. And, uh, and so John the Baptist decides to speak out against it. This is wrong, you shouldn't do this, and, and he's very vocal. But Herod is the king. So Herod responds by putting John in prison. So John is in prison for speaking out against the king. So that'll be important for our study. He's there, and uh, let me just, if, if I can, just show a map real quick. One of the things that we're going to find is that, that uh, up in the northern part of Israel where you see that, that circle, that's going to be where Jesus is doing his ministry. But if you look down at the bottom, you'll see what's called the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea just to the right of that, which is modern day Jordan, is where uh, John is going to be in prison. And we're going to find that his disciples are going to travel a hundred miles to come and, and see Jesus. So did I read verses one through three yet? I didn't? I did. Do you remember them? Okay. All right. So, so John is arrested and he's thrown into prison. In, and when John is thrown into prison, he probably thought, you know, it's okay. I'm in prison suffering for the Lord. That's fine. Because here's what I know. I know that the Messiah, the Christ that I have been pointing people to, the Bible says that when he arrives, he's going to do some things. One of the things that he's going to do is it'll say he sets the captives free. John was expecting, as were the disciples, for Jesus to set up his earthly kingdom uh, and not realizing that Jesus had come the first time to set up his, his spiritual kingdom. There will be an earthly kingdom later. That's a story for another day. But John is sitting in prison and at first he begins to think, well, it's no big deal. Jesus is probably going to spring me out of here as he sets up his kingdom. But time begins to pass. And as time passes, the days turn into weeks. The weeks are starting to turn into months. And, and time is going on and nothing is changing in his life. And John's beginning to ask himself, why, why am I sitting here in this prison? I mean, I, I was born. I, I have a calling in my life. I was born to preach and, 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 and to proclaim. And here I am just sitting in this in this cell, this, this, this prison, I can't move, I can't free myself. It just it doesn't make sense. It's not, it's, it's not what I thought it would be. Well, he's probably also thinking, you know, I've been faithful, I've been doing the right thing, I was the one who was pointing people to Jesus, so why am I sitting in this situation? Now here, here's the part that I think makes it even more difficult. And it's the part we read it, but, but we kind of miss it. In verse 2, notice it says, now when John, however your Bible says it, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ. So, so here's why it, it becomes worse. John is sitting in prison, but he's hearing about the works of Christ. So this one's getting healed, that one's getting healed, this one's being set free, and this one's getting their miracle. But I'm not getting my miracle. This one's getting a God story over here, but I'm not getting a God story. And, and it's the same thing that happens with us. You know, you, you, you'll hear somebody say, you know, I, my back was against the wall financially, and, and man, we began to put God first. All of a sudden, God just opened the floodgates of heaven, restored my finances, everything's great. And they have this great God story. And then there's others who sit back and say, well, I, I began to do that, and uh, I'd like a God story too. But, but right now, that's not that's not happening. 
And here, here at Calvary, one of the things that we see, we see somebody say, well, you know, I went to the doctor and the doctor found this thing, it was there on the, on the screen, and, and so it came back and we all prayed, went back to the doctor and it's gone, it's gone. And it's a great story. But, but then there's others who say, I went to the doctor, they found something, they came, we all prayed, and then they went back and it's still there. And wonder, why don't I have that story? Why, why aren't I getting that story? And, and, and it's in that time that we begin to think, was there something wrong with me? Did I miss something? So John is hearing all of these miracle stories, but is beginning to ask, why don't, why don't I have a story? What's wrong with me? Well, it's at this point where John begins to say, did I, did I, did I miss it? I mean, I was the guy pointing people to Jesus, and uh, now I'm sitting here in the cell. And why isn't Jesus doing something? And as time goes on, he begins to doubt, questioning, did, did I miss it? Did I, did I miss it? And uh, that is something that um, uh, it helps me, because John is now questioning. And the reality is no, no, no matter what a great spiritual giant somebody is, when you begin to walk through it, we all begin to question. And so what I appreciate about John as we travel through this, and I'll just highlight a couple of things, but what I appreciate about John is he does certain things in this very, very difficult time that I think would be good things for all of us to do as we face our own situations that at times don't make sense. And this is a situation from John's perspective that makes absolutely no sense. So time is going on, nothing is changing, and he sends his disciples to to Jesus and he says, you know, if, if you're the Messiah, you know, do we look for another? And the idea there is that if you're the Messiah, we're kind of thinking that you'd be doing something. We're kind of expecting that you'd be fixing this situation. Well, I put there on your outline in a very dark time, and the reason I've called this a dark time is because it says that John is in prison, and there on your outline, the word uh, prison there, I won't try to pronounce it, but it just means a place of bondage, uh, a dungeon. And uh, so this is, a, uh, this is in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, in a prison in the Middle East 2,000 years ago before Middle Eastern prisons had the reputation for having great hospitality and, and wonderful living conditions. Only three of you thought that was funny. It's, do you read the news? <laughs> so anyways, he's in this situation. He can't fix this situation. He can't take action to get himself out of this situation. He's not in this situation because of his sin. He's in it because he, he took a stand. He has no freedom, and it's not what he expected. And I, I think for some of us, this, is, this kind of describes where we find ourselves at now. And if you don't find yourself at right now, there's going to come a time in your life that you're going to find yourself in the same situation. Hopefully not in a dungeon in the Middle East, but in a situation that, that you can't change. So we, we're going to notice a few things. And what I appreciate about John and why Jesus is going to call him, he's going to say that no one born of women is, is greater than John. But we notice a couple of things. First of all, it's in a very dark time that he takes his doubts to Jesus. I'm going to write that down. Uh, I've condensed verses 2 and 3. just says, John sent word to him. And, and I love that John understands that Jesus is the one who has the answer. 
And uh, I, I, you've all heard the phrase that says you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. And here John realizes, I have nowhere else to go but to go to Jesus. So, so he's seeking what the Lord would say in this situation. And his disciples are going to travel 100 miles to get that answer. Another thing that we notice is that it says that his disciples are going. What that tells us is that right now John stays connected with like-minded believers. Stays connected with like-minded believers. They were his disciples and he was a great encouragement to them, but now he's going through it and his disciples are a great encouragement to him. And uh, there, this, when you go through a difficult time in your life, one of the most important decisions that you can make is who you're going to choose to associate with in that time. Because we've all met people who go through a difficult time and they make the wrong choice in who they associate with. Six months, a year later, it's not turning out the way that they had hoped. And so here, John chooses to be with his disciples. His disciples are there with him. We've been talking about groups starting up. It was years ago in a very difficult time in my life that my lifeline was my weekly small group. And it was a, a, a couple there at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. They had been married for 20 years and it started off as a, as a group that had a number of married couples and they were stayed in the group. But there were a number of us who were single at the time and we began going to that group. And we might miss some things in our week, but we would not miss that group because it was there that we connected, we felt prayed for, we felt loved, and uh, it was there that kept us holding on. For some of us, it was a very, very difficult time and a very, very difficult time in my life. I want to really encourage you. I don't typically do this, but you need to be connected to other believers. If you're just coming to church and you're not connecting with other believers, it's other believers who are going to nurture you and help you grow in your faith and encourage you to become everything that God has for you. So you want to take that opportunity and sign up for a group. Well, so uh, he takes his, his doubts to Jesus, he stays connected with like-minded believers. And, and another thing that we notice about John is that in this difficult time where he's stuck in this dungeon, he remains firm in his convictions. Go ahead and write that down. Firm in his convictions. Uh, he's there because he took a stand against the king for doing something that he should not have done. And uh, we know something about this king that this uh, there on your outline it says, for Herod was afraid of John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. So he had a, he had a respect for John and when he heard him he was very perplexed but he used to enjoy listening to him. Now what, what's interesting to me in that is that as John is thrown into prison he's sitting there, I think because of Herod's great respect for him John could have said, you know tell, tell Herod this, say um, you know, Herod here's the deal you're not a believer. So what do I care what you do? Uh, your wife, she's not a believer. What do I care? Uh, so you guys do that. You're not really believers. So you, know, you do what you do. Uh, your brother, uh, it's not recorded that he's complaining that you took his wife. He might be glad that you took his wife. We don't even know. So, so you know, I'm just going to let this whole thing go. You, know, you guys do what you do, and I'll just remain silent on this. And so what we find is that John... John remains resolute in his convictions even in this very, very difficult time. You know, one of the things that happens is that when you go through a difficult time, 
Maybe you're single, maybe you're becoming single again, and uh, it's in that very difficult time. You know how the Lord would have you to live, and it's in that time that you will be tempted to compromise on your convictions as you walk through that difficult time. John chooses to be very resolute in his convictions, and uh, you be resolute in your convictions also. We've all seen, and notice this verse, we'll talk about it when we get to chapter 13, it says, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. What he's saying there is in a difficult time, they begin to compromise their convictions. And you don't want that to be you. And John is going to be somebody who stays firm in his convictions. Sometimes God allows us to go through a time of difficulty. It's in that time of difficulty that the truth of our faith is revealed to us. Because for those of us who walk through a difficult time and we cling to the Lord it's there that the Lord reveals to us that now we're really in because there's a lot of opportunity to go in another direction, but there's something inside of us that can't let go and and we cling in that time. And, And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So John takes his doubts to the Lord. I'm going to read verses four through six and we'll see Jesus's response. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. So this is all going to go back to John, and we need to keep that in mind. This is going to be the message for John. Then it says, the blind receive sight. Now how many of your Bibles, when it says the blind receive sight, all of a sudden the font changes? Does your font change? Now when your font changes in your Bibles, what that typically means is that somebody in the New Testament is quoting a passage in the Old Testament. And so what Jesus is doing is quoting scripture from the Old Testament that the Messiah would accomplish when he arrived. So verse verse 5 it says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. We'll unpack this, but right now as John takes his doubts to the Lord, he's going to receive insight from the Lord. Because Go ahead and, and, and write that down. Insight from the Lord. John's disciples will see what's going on, and then they will take it back, and John, they will report it to John. John will hear what's going on. Jesus is doing all of the things that the Messiah was supposed to do. So there on your outline, there's a couple of places I pulled from the Old Testament when, as, they waited from, as they waited for the Messiah, here's some things that he would do, and you would know it would be him because he'd be doing these things. There in your outline from Isaiah it says, the deaf will hear, the eyes of the blind will see. And we've certainly seen in Jesus' miracles he's doing that. That's what the Messiah would do. So Jesus quotes that. Uh, again in Isaiah 35 it says, the lame will leap like a deer, and uh, the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. And we've seen that, you know, and you'll see that, those miracles. That's what the Messiah, the Christ, would do when he showed up. And that would be one of the confirmations that it's really him. But John is sitting in prison, and Jesus is sending a message back to John. And John is hoping to hear something that the Bible said the Messiah would do, and John is hoping to hear that for him. But in the message that Jesus sends back to John, to be reported to John, he leaves something out. Leaving something out is going to be part of the message to John. 
John's going to understand this part has been left out. So one of the things that it says in Psalm 146, you notice it says, the Lord sets the prisoners free. And that's what John wants to hear. He wants to hear that message. The Lord gives sight to the blind. Again, Jesus leaves that part out. And the reason that he's leaving that part out is John's going to find out that yes, that's what the Messiah does. But John, that's not going to come true in your life. There's another plan that I have for you. And it's not going to be involving, it's not going to involve being set free. Does that make sense? So this is a message sent back to John. And Jesus closes this little paragraph with verse 6. Now verse 6 strikes me and he says, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. John, don't take offense at me. Blessed are you, John, if you don't take offense at me. Now, uh, I've put there that verse on your outline. And uh, it says, blessed is he who does not take offense. And the Greek word there is skanda, skandalizuo, from where we get our English word scandalize, or to be scandalized and uh, at me. So John, although I'm not giving you the message that you want, right now your blessing will come and not being scandalized or offended by me in this. So what's he saying? Well there on your outline you might want to write this down. Jesus is telling John right here that right now even though it doesn't make sense John needs to trust God's plan. John needs to trust God's plan. John was expecting Jesus to find a way for him to get out. John was expecting Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom at this time. The disciples are expecting Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom, but that's not what Jesus is doing right now. I think that for all of us at some point in our life, we're going to walk through a time that doesn't make sense. And we walk through that time that doesn't make sense. God uses that to, to bring us to that place where we say, Lord, I don't understand, but right now I'm going to trust that you have a plan even though it makes absolutely no sense to me. John is going to be called greater than anybody who's ever lived. And part of that, uh, there's a theological, but part of that is how he lives this out. Well, so when this takes place, this message is going to go back to John. John's going to realize something's been left out for him. But here, Jesus is going to, and you want to write this down, Jesus is going to give great encouragement to John, or he'll receive encouragement from the Lord. So in verse 7, here's what it says. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. I put it there on uh, your outline. It says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Now, this is important because what what John, what Jesus is going to do here, John's disciples have not left. They're in the process of leaving. And um, so this is a process of them going. So they haven't left, but as they are leaving. Uh, I don't know how it is in your family, but in my family, leaving goes something like this. For instance, yesterday we celebrated my foster father's 75th birthday. So we're down there in South Miami, and uh, Cheryl says, okay, it's time to go. So get all the kids in the van. Now when we're leaving, what this means is I get all 11 kids in the van. She comes out 45 minutes later. <laughs> leaving is a process. Uh, am I alone in this? 
can I get a witness? So, so it's, I understand what leaving means. Leaving doesn't mean we've left. No, it's, it's a process. It's a process. And then uh, usually as we're leaving, somebody has to go back into the bathroom. And so it's, it's, it's a big process. So that's what's going on here. They're in the process of leaving, but they haven't left. So when Jesus is speaking, he's addressing the crowd. And so when he speaks, he's not going to whisper. He's like, I need to tell you something. It's going to be, going to be very, very, uh, he's going to be getting it out there. So Jesus has a few things that he wants to say publicly about John, and he knows what he says about John is going to go right back to John. It's going to be just what John needs to hear. Verse 7, he says, as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And the idea is a reed in those days and today would, would blow in the wind this way or that way. And so what, what Jesus is articulating here is John, when you went out to see him, he wasn't trying to find out which way the wind was blowing to decide what should I share. You know, for him it was, it was very resolute. You know, there was truth, there was error, there was right, there was wrong, there's heaven, there's hell. And so he wasn't blowing back and forth to get people's opinions to figure out how he should do things. He just, this is how it is. Even now in prison he's very resolute. He's not going this way or that way. Verse 8 it says, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. Interesting. Um, John, as you know, would wear uh, camel skin clothing and uh, uh, he would eat bugs, locusts and, and honey and things of that nature. And so when you went to hear John, he wasn't trying to present to you that he was the most worldly successful uh, presentation of, of himself. I know I'm butchering how I'm saying that, but, but the idea is he wasn't trying to impress you with, with uh, what we would look on as worldly success. He's just, what, who I am is who I am, and you get what you get. And he, he was a man of God, which in, in times in our world can be very, very differently, and not to our, our benefit. Verse 9, he says, but what, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. As this is going out, John's disciples are going to be listening to what Jesus is saying here. They know the message that they're going to take him, but they also are hearing what Jesus is saying. He's a prophet. He's more than a prophet. He's the one that the Bible said was going to come before the Messiah to proclaim the way. There in your outline, part of what Jesus is doing, he's just reminding John of his calling. John had a very unique calling. The Old Testament closed with a prophecy that one would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And uh, Jesus is saying, this John is the guy that was written about in the Old Testament. He's doing that. So when it says that he's more than a prophet there on your, your outline, what that means, John has a very unique ministry the Old Testament prophets always pointed to the coming Messiah. And so I want you to write that down. Uh, the, all the other prophets prophesied that the Messiah was coming. John's, John's ministry was unique in the sense that he, he, he would say, here he is, he's here. So it's, it's a whole different thing. So you can write that down, it's just a little bit different. So imagine as John is there in the prison and the message comes back and it it's not saying you're going to get out of prison, but the message is from God's standpoint, you're, you're more than a prophet. You're the one. You're, you're, you're the, the, the one who prepared the way. That would be great encouragement to John in that difficult time. Uh, 
Verse 11, he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Of all the people who have ever lived, no one has been greater than John. It's important to understand you wouldn't look at his education, you wouldn't look at his clothing, and uh, the fact that he's in prison is typically not what people look at as signs of success. But from God's standpoint, he's the greatest man who's ever lived. But those in the kingdom of heaven, the least in the kingdom of heaven, would be greater than John. What is he saying? John will die before Jesus is crucified, buried, and, and raised from the dead. John will die before the church begins. And the church has a very unique relationship with Jesus. Uh, in, in the church, even the least, uh, we would say, and, and uh, not my word, but Jesus, but as, as, a, as the church, you know, at one place we're described as the bride of Christ, collectively, not individually, but, but the bride of Christ. It's a unique relationship. Uh, we are in the world, we are called the body of Christ. The, the closest somebody will ever touch Jesus on this planet, in this world, is by connecting with us as the church. Unlike those in the Old Testament, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that. So it's a unique relationship. There's a unique empowering. So even though John was the greatest one who'd ever lived among women, those of us who are saved after Jesus is raised from the dead, who are part of the church, we have a unique relationship and and Jesus is just articulating that, that there. Does that make sense? Okay. Now verses 12 and 13, uh, he says, for all the prophets, uh, verse 12, for from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. I'm going to come back to that. For, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. When it says they all prophesied, all those Old Testament prophets, until John, that's Jesus' way of saying John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. So he ends, ends the, what you and I would call the, the Old Testament. But there you have verse 12, and uh, verse 12 can be very troubling. From the days of John the Baptist until now, in my translation, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Has, has anybody ever been troubled by that verse or wondered what it's talking about? Am I alone in this? Yes, I see that hand. Is there another? Yes, one other. So, so, so this is a verse that was very troubling, and if you've been like me, I've been around the church block. And this verse is a verse that's typically translated one of three ways. And the reason for that is in the Greek language there are certain words that, that can mean this or they can mean that. They can be in the positive or they can be in the negative. For instance, if I say the word I'm going to read a book or I read a book, they're spelled the same way, um, but the context tells you whether I read it or I'm going to read it. And so, but it's the same word. So this verse has that in it. So there, there's three ways that this is typically translated. Your understanding of this verse will determine how you do life, ministry, and, the, and possibly the amount of guilt you carry with you as you go through life. So I'd like to unpack this just for a minute if I, if I can. One of the ways that this is translated there on your outline, if you have the NIV translation, 
it will say, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. You might want to underline that. And forceful men lay hold of it. Forceful men lay hold of it. Now, those who look at that, and there are certain ministries that really take that view, they say God's kingdom is advancing and violent, forceful men are going to lay hold of it, which means that we have to be really forceful and you know, going and pushing and, and driving our, our, our agenda and all of that. There's a militancy in those types of ministries. Some people hold, hold that. Now, I don't, I don't think that that fits the context. Um, the, when you interpret Scripture, you always want to look at what is the context of what we're talking about, and uh, then ask yourself, if it's saying this, do I see this being lived out in the apostles' lives in the book of Acts? And we, we don't see a militancy lived out in their lives. And then is it something that's taught by the apostles in the epistles, those letters at the end? So, so, so somewhat would take that. And, and so you have these ministries that they're very militant and, the, and that they take that view. I don't take that view. I don't think it fits the context. This context uh, of this passage in the last chapter have been going out and there's difficulty and things of that nature. Others will read it like this, there in your outline. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Underline that. And violent men take it by force. Take it by force. Now in this reading, and some of your Bibles will say that, there are all kinds of interpretations. They're attacking us. They continue to attack us. They're taking us. They're attacking us, but we're taking them. And uh, and so there's all kinds of uh, of you know interpretations of that. Again, I don't feel like that really fits the context of what it's saying. Now, there's a third way that this is translated, and this makes the most sense to me. There in your outline, it says, "From the time of John the Baptist, from the time that John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been." forcefully advancing. Underline that. And violent people are attacking it. That makes the most sense to me. From the time that John the Baptist began preaching, thousands of people have been repenting going forward. The kingdom has been advancing. But from the time that John the Baptist began, uh, violent people have been attacking it. Thus, John is in prison and will ultimately be beheaded by one of those people. The kingdom was going forward, but he's being attacked. Jesus will preach, do miracles, he will, the kingdom goes forward, but ultimately he'll be crucified. Uh, the apostles will go out, the kingdom will continue going forward, but they will die horrific deaths. That seems to fit the context, especially when you consider chapter 10, uh, the gospel goes forward, but not everybody appreciates that. And sometimes the hostility can be very strong. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, hopefully, did, did any, is that something anybody even cares about? Or do I just leave that off the third service? Or what do I do? Read over that and enjoy. So, all right. We conclude with verse 14. He says, and if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. The Old Testament talked about this one who would come before Jesus, uh, the Messiah, and he would begin pointing to the Messiah. So is this a reincarnation of Elijah? No. Uh, it's a, a bigger story for another day, but there in your outline, Luke says it like this. He would go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. So it's, it's, uh, 
It's an empowering. It's in the spirit of. It's not a reincarnation of. So as we we wrap this up today, uh, very quickly, you and I are going to go through times that that when as we walk with the Lord that that don't make sense. And um, God uses the stories in the Bible many times as extreme situations, knowing that we're not going to face something that extreme. Uh, God comes to Abraham, says you're going to have a son. Nothing happens for decades. Uh, You have David and Goliath. Most of you won't be called to fight a 10-foot guy. You're you're just not going to be called to do that. And here in this situation, most of us are not going to die in a dungeon in the Middle East. But this is an extreme situation to bring us to the place where we, we, we notice some things. But we're going to walk through some times that, that don't make sense. When you walk through those times that don't make sense, not always when you're walking through them do you understand what God is doing, but after that time you understand. And I know you've heard my story many, many times in 1990. My dad went away to prison for 10 years in a federal prison, and when he left, I became the custodian of my younger sister, who was seven years, seven years old at that time. No job. I was heading back to school, and, uh, and our world turned upside down. And I can tell you that for the next five years, it was a very difficult time. And I can tell you that it, because I had this little girl, uh, it it meant things like, for instance, our singles group at church said, hey, we're all going to Colorado to go skiing. That wasn't even part of my reality. I couldn't even think in those terms. And, and, and it, was, it was five years for the most part at night sitting home alone. All I could do was read and, and pray and wonder, why in the world am I going through this? This makes no sense. And, and uh, I'm so glad that in that time, as I look at John the Baptist, three decisions that I made that you want to make in your time as you're going forward in a time that doesn't make sense. One, I I took my doubts to Jesus. And there were times when I really doubted, as you will too. But I realized that he was the only one who had the answer. The second thing, I made sure that I stayed intentionally connected with other believers. That small group, every week, was a lifeline. It was there that that you could just feel the presence of the Lord. Just being together with other believers changed everything. And it was in a time where God helped me and taught me in purpose to not compromise those convictions. One of the things you'll find when you're going through a difficult time, there's always a temptation to compromise those convictions. And it's in that time you want to make those three decisions, especially as you go through a time that right now doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you look back at that time, when God chooses to change everything, you look back and you go, it was in that time that God really changed me. If you're here today as we wrap up and we pray, if you're going through that, um, there's going to be some prayer partners standing down in the front. They would love to pray with you. And just know that, that you're surrounded by people who have gone through or we'll go through those difficult times that we don't understand. You're not alone, and uh, you haven't been alone for thousands of years because the Bible is full of stories that, of people going through the same thing. Let's pray. Father, as we wrap this up today, my prayer is that 
for those of us who are facing those difficult times as we went through, Lord, we, we know temptation in our life, whatever it would be, to compromise. We, we know the, those that we need to fellowship with. And, and Lord, we know that you use these times to bring us to the place where we take, we take our doubts to you. I pray for each and every person who's here today walking through it, that Lord, that you would carry and as you gave John encouragement that his disciples could take back, that Lord, that we would sense and we would hear your encouragement in our life to keep going, to live out our purpose as, as you have designed each and every one of us. Father, I pray that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.